Let's uh, remain standing for a word of prayer. Lord, there is none above you, none before you. And uh, Lord, I just pray that uh, through our time together now, the people in this room would see that. There is no one like our God, no one like Jesus. And we just pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would speak into people's hearts in a fresh way, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please do uh, take your seats. And if you uh, uh, want to keep that passage open uh, uh, from Matthew thirteen forty-four, It's a, a brief section, so I'll just read it again. The kingdom, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything that he had and bought it. I enjoy watching the Antiques Roadshow where people bring in jewelry or ornaments uh, for experts to tell them something about its history uh, of that item. But one question that everybody really wants to know is this. Just tell me, how much is it worth? And when it turns out to be a lot of money, their expression on their faces is priceless in itself, as this lady shows. Occasionally you hear stories of somebody paying just a few pounds for something at a car boot sale, only to discover that it is worth thousands of pounds. I once uh, read about a scrap metal uh, dealer in America who back in 2012 bought a golden egg from a bric-a-brac stall in the Midwest so that he could sell it just for its scrap value. He pay, paid the pricely sum of $13,000 for it. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. That's some bric-a-brac sale. Ah, yes, but it is America. But the egg was saved from being melted down for its scrap value when nobody would match his initial outlay of $13,000. It was a massive amount of money at which he paid for it, and soon the egg became a financial burden to its new owner. And so one evening, upon examining some inscriptions on the egg, which bore the name Verichon Constantine, he went to his computer and tapped in the words egg and Verichon Constantine into his Google search. Eventually, it dawned on him that he was in possession of an imperial Fabergé egg made for the Russian royal family back in 1887. Immediately, an expert from London flew over and took this picture of it on the man's kitchen table next to a cupcake which he had just bought. The cupcake was worth $1.20. The egg was worth $33 million. 
The golden egg cost that man a lot of money, but he found that it was far more than he ever paid for it. Hidden treasure. Hidden treasure. And here Jesus tells us two parables of the kingdom of heaven. And in each, he shows the price that somebody is willing to pay in order to obtain this treasure. Now, those listening to this parable would have been very familiar with the practice of burying their valuables in the ground as a means of security. Because in Jesus' day, banks as we know them simply didn't exist. And so it wasn't uncommon for people to bury their valuables in clay jars in a field prior to them perhaps setting off to war. However, sometimes the owner never returned due to them being killed in battle. And so their, their treasure would lie undiscovered until someone stumbled upon it sometimes many decades afterwards. Well, the man in this first parable may well have been perhaps a laborer employed by a wealthy landowner. Either way, it's absolutely obvious that the true owner of this field doesn't re actually realize that that treasure exists at all. To him, he's simply got an ordinary muddy field. And the fact that the laborer had to sell everything that he had in order to buy this field means that he was a relatively poor person. And so this hired hand might have been plowing up that same field year after year, accepting his humble lot in life, but always having behind it this nagging feeling in his heart. Is there more to life than this? Is there more to life than this? Let me pause here for a moment and ask you this. Is Jesus speaking to someone in this room who's like this man here? You've been following your career and doing your job faithfully and well. And in that, you can find a sense of deep satisfaction. But every now and then, you just stop to wipe the sweat off your brow and you just wonder to yourself this, is there more to life than this? Am I missing something? Well, before he was a Christian, Dr. Nigel Scotland used to think exactly that when he made his trips to London by train and he pondered about life. He writes this, I often used to look at the lines of newspapers gently bobbing up and down with the motion of the train and wondered if this was all that there was to life. Forty-five years of going backwards and forwards through the tunnel to the city of London and a routine job. And then perhaps a decade of doing the gardening and pottering around the shops. And finally, a few years on your own with continuous TV in some old people's home until the appointed day comes when the undertakers arrive for you. Somehow it all seems so futile. Yes, it's true that millions of people seem to cope with this kind of life and feel no need for anything further from, for, for their existence. But I just began to wonder, is this all there is to life? Or is there something more? Tell me, does that describe you here this morning? 
You're living a busy, hard-working life, but you still feel hollow inside. Well, that, my friend, is because of this. Your life will never be filled until it is occupied with the God of the universe. For there is a God-shaped vacuum within every single one of us that can only ever be occupied by God himself. Nothing else will ever fill it. And that's why Jesus said to people, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. He is speaking both of a quality and a quantity of life, which is beyond the ordinary things that this world could ever offer you. And that life is found in him alone. Your life will always seem incomplete, no matter how many earthly goods or relationships or achievements you fill it with, until your life is flooded by Jesus, your life will not be complete. The Bible says this, all things were made by him and for him. He is that missing ingredient in your life. It's not found in the fancy car, the big house, the large paycheck. No, he is the true treasure in this universe. Going back to our parable, I just wonder what that man's wife thought when she heard him say, hey, look, do you know this? We're going to sell absolutely everything, our house, our furniture, everything we own in order to buy that field from Farmer Giles, or the equivalent name in Hebrew. She would have thought he was utterly mad until he explains to her that within that seemingly ordinary field lay unimaginable riches. Think for a moment how many people had walked over that ordinary field and been within Inches of life-changing treasure. But never discovering it because they simply didn't look beneath the surface. You know, many people walk past this church or drive past this church and other Bible-believing churches like it, and they never enter in. Why? Because they think they know what lies underneath. An irrelevant message from an old book from a bygone time being listened to by a handful of people. That's what most people think. To them, the Bible is just a collection of fairy stories with no basis of evidence. And so they dismiss the prospect of finding anything of value by going to church. They can't understand why anybody would sacrifice a precious Sunday morning lie-in to listen to this book. They don't think that there is any life-changing treasure to be found within its pages. And so they walk on by. But that is precisely because people do not see their own spiritual poverty or their need to be saved from a lost eternity in hell For if they did, they might just see their need of Jesus Christ 
the Savior of the world. Oh, friends, it is so important that people realize their poverty and realize Christ's riches. You know, during the 2016 general election campaign, I was walking down Beeston High Street, and I saw a massive board with two people uh, distributing uh, leaflets next to it. Uh, perhaps we can have it on the screen. And the, it was that, uh, that was the exact sign that I saw. Uh, the, the board, this board simply had a set of scales on it with the words morally bankrupt. I don't know what you would have thought had you seen it, but I actually assumed this was a Christian stand, and so as a result, I began to chat to them. And I said to the lady handing out the leaflets, I think that's a great poster, because all of us are morally and spiritually bankrupt before a holy God, aren't we? She looked at me as if I'd just said, hello, my name's Colin and I've got the bubonic plague. <laughs> because I've never seen someone move so quickly away from me. I then discovered, upon reading her leaflet, that she was actually handing out leaflets for the Animal Liberation Party. But the truth is that we all are morally and spiritually bankrupt before a holy God. Every single one of us. And I know that for a fact because we can't even live up to our own standards, let alone that of God's. That's why the Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, when people hear that, that they've fallen short of God's standards, they naturally think, well, you know, I just have to pull my socks off up. I, I have to do some good deeds. That's got to uh, uh, make up for any bad deeds I've ever done in life. And that's pretty much how virtually every person thinks. And indeed, it's how every world religion thinks, except for one. But that whole way of thinking is flawed. Let me illustrate it this way. Imagine at the end of the service, we say, please do go and have a cup of coffee or tea. And I decide to give you your cup of coffee. And I say, look, here, here's your coffee. But actually, there's something we like to do here at Cornerstone just before you get it. <laughs> and then I hand it to you and say, drink up, it's, it's lovely. You would look at me with horror. And say that, well, that's disgusting. You've got, you've got your, you know, your spits floating on top. And I say, well, treat it like a cappuccino. I mean, come on. And I said, look, I'll tell you what, I'll give it a stir. There, now you can have a drink. You say, I'm sorry, but you're mixing it all up. I mean, that's the, I'm sorry, it's not fit to be drunk. And I say, look, let's look at this scientifically. Only 1% of it is spit. 99% of it is perfectly good coffee still. Would you still drink it? Well, no, you know it's fit to be thrown out, not to be accepted and certainly not to be drunk. If you can grasp that for yourselves, that's exactly how we appear before God. We think, oh, I've only done a few bad things in my life. 
99 good things are bound to make up for it. On the scales of God's justice system, that'll get me in. You are wrong. That is a flawed way of thinking. Our good and our bad deeds, when mixed together, actually spoils all of our lives. That is why heaven is so holy and God is so pure beyond your imagination. We are not fit for God in the condition that we are in, and we cannot save ourselves no matter how good our good works are. We are utterly bankrupt before a holy God. Now, the only way a bankrupt person can ever have their debt paid off is if someone who is in credit comes to their rescue and bails them out. Well, the only person in this whole universe who is morally and spiritually in credit is God himself. And that is why God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world. He lived the perfect life in every way, pleasing his heavenly father in a way that we could never do. And this is why Jesus, who is the judge of all the earth and who is God in flesh, died, came and died on a cross in our place as our substitute. Because the Bible says that the wages of our sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus paid the penalty on our behalf so that all those who place their faith and trust in what Jesus Christ did for them on the cross can be forgiven and enter into a living relationship with Jesus because Jesus Christ is alive. He rose again from the dead. And in placing our trust in him, they will be eternally saved. And this is the good news that Christians believe and accepted. That Jesus is the treasure. He makes all the difference to our lives. Our past is forgiven. Our future is secure. Our present is full of hope and certainty and purpose. The Christian faith is based on evidence, which is compelling. And people like those who we've seen being baptized here this morning were stopped in their tracks and dug just that bit deeper than just looking on the surface. And to their astonishment, they found that there was meaning rather than mud in this field. There was treasure rather than trash beneath its surface. And that this Jesus and the Bible makes more sense of this life and offers more hope and help than they could ever possibly have imagined. At our 9.15 service, we baptized Sunita. And she said this, my sinful life made me unable to do anything more. And so I just cried and didn't understand why everything was happening. And then I watched YouTube videos of people sharing their testimonies and how they became free in Jesus, free from sin and had a life full of peace through Jesus and his word, the Bible. So then I decided to buy a Bible 
And before I started reading the New Testament, I prayed for God to show me the truth and to let me understand what his word says. God opened my eyes and completely changed me. I understood by God's grace that Jesus suffered and died for my sin. And that I no longer have to live in sin, but can be free through Jesus because of his grace and love towards me. Oh, friends, when you find this treasure, your searching has come to an end. Because you know that this is the thing you've been looking for in your life. And that's picked up in the last of these two short parables, and I will be very brief on this one. But Jesus said this, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything that he had, had and bought it. And notice the merchant in Jesus' second story is a wealthy man. He's looking for pearls, plural. So he's looking for many things that would satisfy his hunger and his appetite for value and worth in his life. He was already a wealthy man, but still he found that something was missing. But then in his quest, he comes across this one peril that so captured his heart that he knows that this was the very thing that he had been searching for all his life. And then in finding that one peril, he knew that he would not need to look for another. His searching could stop. He'd found the only thing that truly mattered in the world. Friends, this is like those who are spiritually searching, trying this religion or that. But then one day, they hear and understand, as, as we've heard from the testimony today, they hear and understand the gospel, and it hits them in their heart of hearts, and they just know this was what we were searching for, not in the religion we were brought up in, but this is what we're searching for. I don't need to look any further now. I like the way that Peter Lewis once put it. He said this, when you've found your car keys, you stop looking. And when you found God's best, you look for no alternative because there is no improvement on the Son of God. Friends, there is no improvement that you can find on the Son of God. He is the pearl of great price. He is the greatest treasure in this world. Someone has observed that in Christ, we have a love that can never be fathomed, a life that can never die, a peace that can never be understood, a rest that can never be disturbed, a joy that can never be diminished, a hope that can never be disappointed, a glory that can never be clouded, a light that can never be darkened and a spiritual resource that can never be exhausted. We can never buy our way into the kingdom of God, 
because heaven is a free gift that has been purchased for us by Jesus. It cannot be earned, and it certainly isn't deserved, but it is offered to you. Yes, even now. It's offered to you this day. If you will see your need of Jesus and accept him as your Lord and Savior, then you will be exchanging your brokenness for his completeness, your sinfulness for his righteousness, an eternity in hell for an eternity in heaven, a life without him for a life with him. Oh, friends, whatever you do, whoever you are, do not reject this Jesus or his kingdom that he offers you to enter and enjoy with him. On the day of judgment, we will all stand before God. And the one thing everyone will need is a Savior. But that needs to be determined now in this life before we take our final breath. So make sure that you enter God's kingdom. Make sure that you have received God's Son into your life. I close with this story. The story is told of a wealthy man who collected rare works of art. He had everything in his collection from Picasso to Van Gogh. When the Vietnam conflict broke out, his only son went to war and died in battle. The father was notified and grieved deeply for his only son. The only reminder of his son was a portrait which hung in his study. Sadly, the broken-hearted father died a few months later, and there was to be a great auction of his paintings. Many influential people gathered to try and purchase the great works of art that he owned. But on the platform sat the painting of the sun. The auctioneer pounded his gavel. We will start the bidding with this picture of the sun. Who will bid for this picture? There was complete silence. Then a voice from the back shouted out, We want to see the famous paintings. Skip this one. But the auctioneer persisted. Will someone bid for this painting? Who will start the bidding? Someone shouted out angrily, we didn't come to see this painting. We came for the Van Goghs. We came for the Rembrandts. Get on with the real bids. But still, the auctioneer continued. The sun, the sun. Who will take the sun? Then finally, a voice came from the back of the room. It was the longtime gardener of the man and his son. I'll give you $10 for the painting. Well, being a poor man, that's all he could afford. We have $10. Who will bid 20 Oh, give it to him for $10. Let's just get on with the rest of the collection. 
But the auctioneer continued, anybody else? Any further bids? Finally, his hammer came down. Going, going, once, twice, sold for $10. The auctioneer then laid down his gavel. And he said, I'm sorry, the auction's over now. Because when I was called to conduct this auction, I was told of a secret stipulation in the Father's will that whoever bought the painting of the Son would inherit the entire estate, including the other paintings. The man who takes the Son gets everything. And friends, whoever accepts Jesus, the Son of God, inherits everything that goes with him. Everything. God says, God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Friends, are you willing to come to Him this day, this moment, and ask Him into your life? Let's bow for a word of prayer. And in the silence, perhaps you need to do your business with God who gave his son to die on a cruel cross to shed his blood for the sins of the world, the greatest treasure and gift we have ever been offered. But it must be accepted or otherwise God classifies it as being rejected. Whoever has the Son inherits everything that Jesus came to give us and the life after death, His presence in the here and now, the hope of a future glory. Lord, I pray that someone here, even this day, however far they may feel from you, might know that you have been the God who has been pursuing after them. Help someone here this day to recognize that the treasure was closer than they thought. They just needed to scratch the surface and unearth the treasures in Jesus. Oh, Lord, apply this word and allow someone to cross over from death to life. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.